Good morning, Living Water. How's everyone doing today? Good. Happy Mother's Day. As David said, is a special day uh, once a, a year. One day a year on the calendar we set aside to honor moms. And um, I would be the first to say that I don't know that it's enough because moms are special, aren't they? Now, I know that it's mixed with different uh, emotions this Mother's Day. And uh, like I was thinking this morning of my mom and how special she was to me. And I sure wish I could just pick the phone up and call her and say, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Uh, moms are special to us. And as, they, as I said, there's one day a year that we set aside to say, Mom, how much we appreciate you. And it just isn't always enough. Someone wrote this, While it is wonderful that we set aside one day to especially honor mothers, let us reflect for a moment of all the things mothers do for us. First of all, they bring us into the world through a biological miracle that is amazing, but certainly not easy. Then they spend the next two decades preparing meals, solving problems, kissing boo-boos, helping us learn everything from how to brush our teeth to how to navigate the difficulties of the real world. They spend the rest of their lives fretting and worrying about us. They care for us in a way that is beyond words. They sacrifice for us in ways beyond words. Even after they have passed, and on Mother's Day, it can be especially difficult for those of us who have lost mothers. Their influence is so powerful that it stays with us always. And this gentleman also says, I propose that one day is not enough. One day is nice, but it's not enough when you consider how precious our moms are. Uh, today, as I was thinking this morning about mom and just the different things, you know, when you're growing up, sometimes you take things for granted. Anybody else take things for granted? You just, you know, you see things, maybe you're critical and all that stuff, and then as you grow and you mature and you see some of the things that maybe they dealt with as parents, you start to understand it a little clearly, I mean, a little more clearly, and you're like, man, I, I probably gave her too much of a hard time, but my mom was special. Um, she was special because she had me, right? I made her a special mom, and I was the only boy, two sisters. I was the middle one, uh, older sister, younger sister, and I was the only boy, and so I was special to my mom. She believed in me. Uh, she was my biggest fan. I couldn't do anything wrong, according to mom. Um, I know I disappointed her a few times, and I remember thinking, don't tell dad, because dad was the disciplined guy in our house, and uh, mom was just always there. And you think about some of the characteristics of a mom. We were talking this morning about how it's interesting, these characteristics that we put on mom and how there's some similarities between how God is with us, that loving, nurturing, caring relationship. And so some of these things that I've written down, and you could probably go on and on with some of the characteristics of a mom, uh, but moms are nurturing. They take care of, they nurture, they love us. They're patient with us. How many of you had a patient mama? How many of you still have a patient mama? Thank God for patient mamas, right? Consistent. And they just never give up. They're always the same. They may have a bad day, but they're just consistent all around. They're protecting of their young. I was reminded this morning of, it was my fault, totally my fault, but one time I came home and I was complaining to my mom about a band director that we had, a female band director. She's redhead, so she kind of had an attitude. And I did too, because I was young. <clears throat> I was mouthing off, and I think she was finally about to let me have it. And I remember going home and just telling my mom, Mom, this band director is just being a jerk to me, and she's always rude, and she's calling me out. And I remember the only time my mom ever went to a sporting event, she came to the football game, and she didn't go there to watch the football game. She came there because she was keeping an eye on that band director. Because she's like, I'm going to get her if she gets on my boy, right? They're protecting that way. Um, they're forgiving whenever we uh, make the mistakes. I'm thank thankful for a forgiving mom. Trusting, sometimes too trusting. Uh, they're encouraging. Moms are encouraging. But the word I want to focus on for just a few moments is the word advocate. I don't think of moms. I think of an advocate. Someone who speaks in favor of or supports uh, 
uh, or urges people by an argument. So a person who speaks in support um, or defense of a person, one who pleads for um, or in behalf of another person. It's like an intercessor, someone who just says, hey, I'm willing to remove all of the obstacles to be able to take care of my kids. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking about, I read a funny story this morning about Tom Holland. He's one of the many actors in the Spider-Man movies. Um, he was telling a story about how <clears throat> when they were recording one of the scenes, I think he had to scale the Washington Monument or something, uh, not in real life, I mean, you know, CGI. But they were doing this, and this one scene, it took them weeks to get it right. And um, he was wearing this tight Spider-Man spandex suit, but underneath it, they had the harnesses that would help him do that. Um, but he was talking about how hard it was to just go to the bathroom. He's like, it was just all rigged up, and it made it almost impossible to take a bathroom break. And so he was venting to his mom about it, as a son would do. Like, hey, mom, yeah, this is great, and here's, here's what's going on. I can't go to the bathroom for hours at a time because I can't get undressed. And unbeknownst to himself, his mom makes a phone call. She calls the producers of the movie there, and he mentions a few days later, one of the producers came to him and said, Tom, how are your, your kidneys? I got a phone call from your mom, and she said that we need to give you more bathroom breaks. That's an advocate, amen? Thank God for moms. As I was thinking about advocacy, I was thinking of this story, and in your Bible's 15, uh, the 15th chapter of Matthew, the pericope on this story says the faith of a Gentile woman, but when you begin to read the story, you learn quickly that she's a Gentile mother. And she has a big problem. Her daughter is possessed with a demon. And like any mom that would pull out all the stops, that would clear any hurdles, she's going to do whatever it takes to find healing for her daughter. And so as we read the text, she hears that Jesus is in the area. She goes to Jesus. She encounters some obstacles, but somehow she's able to push back past those barriers, hurdle those obstacles, and get what she came for. And her daughter is healed of demon possession. So let's read that text very quickly, and then I want to share with you um, just a few things that I've pulled out of the text. Um, chapter 15, verse 21, it says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged to send him away or send her away. They said, Tell her to go away. Um, she is bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus replied, and this might seem a little offensive, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Jesus responds in verse 28, Dear woman, your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. Love that story. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that today we could just ah, enjoy this moment, enjoy our time with you and your word. Lord, as we celebrate moms, and, and, and Lord, I know that it's mixed for many different people, but it is a special day. And I, I thank you for my mom, and I know that we're all grateful that our moms brought us into this world. And I just ask that today we could uh, really just enjoy them, but, Lord, that we wouldn't miss the opportunity to hear from you as well. And, Lord, as we look at this text, and it's talking about a mom and her daughter, let us see your heart and how you respond to great faith. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts to receive your word today. I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So this story is recorded in Matthew and Mark, and I'm going to be kind of flipping back and forth, and um, if, you're, if you're good at that and you want to do that with me, um, it'll be in Mark chapter 7, because he gives us a few more details in his account of the same story. But just to give you a little background of what is going on, Jesus has spent most of his ministry in the region of Galilee. I mean, that's where he did most of his ministry. And he's getting to a point in the ministry where he's feeling a little pressure, He's feeling pressure from a few different areas. Number one, the multitudes. The multitudes of people who've been following Jesus wherever he went, you know, and he would try to find a place, he would get in a boat, and when they find out he was gone, they would follow him to wherever he's at because Jesus was doing some amazing things, and the multitudes wanted to be with Jesus. And they had a, like a misunderstanding of his role. They knew he was the Messiah, but they thought he was coming to be the one that would relieve them finally um, from Rome. And so it says after he fed the 5,000, John's account of that story says that they tried to forcibly take Jesus and make him their king. And so he had to flee from them. So he was feeling pressure from the multitudes. He was also feeling pressure from Herod Antipas. If you remember, Herod has John the Baptist beheaded, and now Jesus is doing these miracles. And it says, just a chapter earlier in, in Matthew's account, that Herod says, is this John the Baptist that has come back from the dead? And so there's an anticipation that Jesus might be arrested, and there's pressure from Herod Antipas. And so um, thirdly, and most importantly, the pressure he was feeling was from the religious leaders. He was always butting heads with the religious folk. They were always challenging his authority, like, by what authority are you doing these things? You can't heal on the Sabbath. That's not right. And in chapter 15, right before this, or in 14, right before this, no, it's in 15, the first part of it, Jesus is kind of laying into them. So they're coming to Jesus and saying, hey, how come your disciples are not following the, the laws, the religious rules? I mean, they don't wash their food before they eat it. <gasps> it's terrible. And Jesus responds to them, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? He's laying into the religious leaders of the day. And then he calls them hypocrites. And so Jesus is feeling a little bit of pressure. And so chapter 15, verse 21 says, Jesus left Galilee. Now, Jesus is not running from his problems because we know that Jesus knew what his mission was. And when it was time, he set his mind resolutely to go to Jerusalem. He knew what his role was. He wasn't fleeing problems. But just like we get tired and need a rest, Jesus' intention was to get away a little bit and just whew, take a breather from the ministry. I know this because Mark's account of the same story um, says he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. That's what happens when you're famous. That's what happens when you're popular like Jesus. He's taking his disciples into this northern region of Tyre and Sidon, about 30 to 50 miles north of Galilee, away from the jurisdiction of the people there, away from the multitudes, just kind of sneaking off for a little rest and relaxation. But his stories and all he's been doing up to this point precede him, and they know that Jesus is in the area, and so now we have this mother who enters <clears throat> the story. And it says that she is um, a Gentile woman. Mark tells us that she's, um, he just makes it very clear that she's not a Jew. They're in the region that's not Jewish. It's a Gentile area. And this Gentile woman who lived there came to him. It says when she heard him, he was there. Now I want you to think about it for just a moment. This, this mom whose heart was just wrenched at the condition of her daughter I'm sure it sounded really, really good, like good news when she learned that Jesus was in their area now. 
And she's heard that Jesus has fed the 5,000. He's walked on the water. I'm sure those stories have been uh, up there and, and circulating. And she's even heard that Jesus has cast out demons. And so to her, that's music to her ears. And she's going and she's going to find um, Jesus. And so when she finds Jesus, she cries out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that tor torments her severely. I love this about a mom. This mom sees an issue and her heart is just wrenched for her daughter and she's willing to go and find a solution, find the healing that her daughter needs. And so I want to share with you just four things um, in this passage. And, and we could probably list about five or six. Uh, but for the sake of time and, and just brevity, I want to give you four things uh, that I believe are great faith. Jesus responded at the end by saying, your faith is great. And do you know that there's only two times in the gospel Jesus does that? And both times it was to a Gentile, not a Jewish person. And in fact, most of the time when he's dealing with the Jewish people, he's getting pushback from them. They're challenging him. He leaves Nazareth earlier because of their unbelief. He said he couldn't do any miracles there because of their unbelief. He says a prophet has no honor in his own country. And so how refreshing it might be for Jesus to go to this region north to the Gentiles and for them to respond the way they do. They do. And two times in the scripture we hear him saying great faith. And so what is great faith? I would say great faith is properly directed. We have faith in a lot of things, don't we? We put faith in the chair when you sat down a moment ago. We, we put faith in the government. <laughs> That's a messed up idea, right? We put faith in a lot of things in, in life, but it's important for us to realize that we need to put faith in um, uh, the proper person or the source, and this is properly directed faith. And let me just reason with me for a moment. She's a Canaanite. Canaanites were enemies of the Jewish people all the way back to Joshua's conquering the land. So there's always this rift there. She was an outsider. She didn't belong to the Jewish nation. And so um, she probably was raised in some pagan religions. And I would venture to say that if there was any gods that she supposedly worshipped um, in her pagan religions that could help her with her problem for her daughter, she's probably exhausted every resource that she could there in those religions. And so we see here that she hears that Jesus is in the area, and then she goes to find Jesus. Her faith is properly directed to the right person, the only one that can bring her daughter the healing that she so desperately needs. Amen? And so I would venture, I would say that faith is um, directed to God and God alone because he's the only one that can answer our, our needs. We, don't, we, we put faith in doctors, you know, and, and I'm thankful for the wisdom that God gives them. But ultimately, our faith is in God, and we know that he uses medicine. He uses resources and knowledge. Amen? Are you with me? We, we put faith in things like that, but let us not put the, let that not be the object of our faith. Our faith is based in God and God alone. She places her faith in Jesus. She hears that he is able to heal her daughter, and she goes to Jesus. I love that. She goes to where Jesus is at, and then she responds with a term that would have been a Jewish term. She shouldn't probably be saying this. Son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy. It's like I'm asking you for something that I don't deserve. I'm asking for you to heal my daughter, son of David. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But look at what Jesus does. I can just imagine them. They're either in this house or they're in the area close to the house. And she's kind of nagging them, if you will, asking Jesus for a miracle. And Jesus just doesn't answer. 
He, his response is no response. And I wonder sometimes how we do whenever we feel like we're asking God and we're crying out to God and he doesn't respond to us. And we feel like, God, are you there? Do you hear me? And while, while we might think that Jesus is just ignoring her and maybe he's just um, trying to, to act like she's not there, um, I think there's something else going on. Especially when you contrast what he's been dealing with up to this point with his own audience, if you will, the Jewish people. Now he's got this Gentile woman and he's been dealing with a fake faith, shallow faith, little faith. And now this woman comes up and says, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is possessed with a demon. I need your help. And he responds with nothing. Now, I don't know how long it goes on where she just keeps on and keeps on, but it says the disciples finally make their way to Jesus and they urge him to send her away. Maybe they're thinking, hey, Jesus, would you just give her what she wants and get her out of here? She's bugging us. Or Jesus, she just keeps on and on and on, just send her away. She's bothering us with all her begging. And so I would say this, a great faith is, and this is important, patient when God is silent. Sometimes God is silent, and delay does not necessarily mean no, but sometimes for reasons that we don't understand completely, God is silent, and a great faith is patient even when God is silent. Jesus doesn't respond. I think that probably what he's doing, and, and I think if, if some of the stuff that I've studied, he was testing her faith. Okay, you're coming to me. You need a miracle, and you're calling me Lord. You're asking me to have mercy on you. I'm not going to respond. I'm what you do with that. Now, how many of you would probably say in our culture today, if you go somewhere and you ask for help and they shun you or they ignore you, you'd be like, well, I tried. He just was, you know, not paying attention to me, ignored me. And so I'll just go back and tell my daughter, I'm sorry, I tried, but Jesus wouldn't answer. So Jesus didn't answer her, but she was patient in that. And it says somehow she probably went around the disciples who were trying to get Jesus to send her away. It says, Jesus said to the woman, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. And what he's doing is he's reminding them of his mission. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And it was to start with Israel. That was the circle, if you will, God's people. And it was going to start there. Now, we know that the gospel is going to go far out from there. But at this moment in time, his priority were the Jews. And he's in a Gentile region, this Gentile woman. And he's saying, hey, listen, it's, it's not time Right now, my focus of ministry is for the lost sheep of Israel. But she didn't let that deter her. It says, but she came and worshipped him, or she fell down before him, pleading again, Lord, help me. Notice also, great faith is a persistent faith. Now, if you're a parent, you know what persistence is, because your kids are really good at it. They just won't give up. They won't let up. In the case of this mom, I'm glad that she was the same way, right? Because he could have said, again, she could have said, hey, I tried. He ignored me at first. And then he said, I'm not here for you. My ministry's not directed at you. Sorry, wrong time. You know, hopefully, good luck to you. And sends her on her way. And so she, again, does not let that deter her. And so she's persistent. And I think great faith is persistent. And then she gets this one phrase from Jesus. And I think this is... If you read it in the English and you just look at it from our culture and our perspective, it sounds like Jesus is throwing shade at her, right? He's, he says, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. I know many women at this moment that would say, I, I want to talk to your boss, right? Yeah, oh, no, you didn't just call me a dog. 
Right? And I think from our perspective, we think it's a really cruel thing that Jesus says, but Jesus has already told her his ministry is to the Jews, and he's using this like little um, this word picture, if you will, to illustrate that further. And the word dog is not, there's like two translations for the word dog. One of them is the wild pack animals that run around, and, and he didn't use that one. He used the one that we would consider like our little loved family pet, right? And the love family pet that's in the home, just a part of the family, but as you serve the meal to the family, you feed the family first, and then you leftovers, maybe you throw it to little Fido or whatever. He uses that term when he uses dog. Now, again, this woman just hurdles another obstacle because she's a Gentile asking him for a miracle, and he basically says, it isn't right for me to take what I've been, been called to do, the ministry, the, the miracles, the preaching to the Jews, and the bringing them into the fold. It, it, out, of, out of line or out of time, it is not right for me to take that and give it to the outsiders, the dogs, the little dogs. Now, there's something that Mark says that I think is interesting. I think the woman cued in on it personally. As Mark tells um, his story, and the same thing, um, since she was a Gentile born of Syrian Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs, first. I think she probably cued in on that one. Whoa, first? That means there's a second, right? That means there's hope after you feed them. And this is how I know she wasn't offended because she agrees with Jesus. And it says she replied, that's true. I see humility in her response, right? She realizes she's not a Jew. She realizes that Jesus was the Messiah to the Jews. She's on the outside of the circle needing a miracle. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's not time for that. I'm focused on our people and it wouldn't be right for me to take this and give it to the outsiders. And he uses this little word picture about giving the food from, that goes to the children and giving it to the dogs. It just wouldn't be right. And she says, yes, but. I love this. She says, you're right. I am like the little dog. I'm the outsider. I'm not one of the Jewish people that you came for. But even the little pups, the little house dogs, the little pets, get to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And I love the faith that's demonstrated in that statement because what she's saying is all I need is a crumb. Jesus, I believe a crumb is enough. I believe the scraps or the leftovers are just plenty to take care of my need. Yes, it's true, Jesus. Compared to the Jews, I'm the outsider. I'm not like that little dog. But even the dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall before or beneath the master's table. I believe at this moment, Jesus smiles real big. Think about it. It's probably refreshing to him, having dealt with a lot of pushback and pressure from his own people. When Jesus hears this Gentile woman answer him like that with this humility and says, Hey, listen, I just got this great need. I'm an advocate for my daughter. She needs healing, and I don't want to let anything stand in my way. Your silence is not going to deter me. I'm going to find a way to get to you. She falls down, and she begs him again, and he says, I've only come for Israel, and it wouldn't be right to take that and feed it to the dogs. Okay, yeah, you're right. I'm a dog. I'm undeserving, and I'm asking you for mercy, and all it takes is one crumb. Jesus, if you'll just give me that, I know that I'll have everything I need. And Jesus, I think he stops and goes, he probably looks at his disciples and goes, see, like that, right? If you read the stories about the disciples and their struggle with faith, what a great faith she had. And that's how Jesus responded to her. He said, woman, you have great faith. 
And I love that. Just demonstrated in this one story. This woman has this great faith in who Jesus is. She knows who he is. And she responds in humility. She just needs a miracle. I'm sure it was refreshing to Jesus. And so great faith, if you're keeping up, is properly directed. We put our faith in Christ and Christ alone. There are a lot of things in this world that we can put our hope and our trust in, but they're all going to fail us at some point. They just never can bring the lasting peace that we need that comes from Christ. Um, and so it is properly directed. It is patient when God is silent because sometimes God's timing is not like our timing. And we say, God, I need it now. And he says, give me a minute. But we're reminded that a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. So what's a minute? I don't know. But it, it might be a while. And so while we wait, we need to be careful that we don't just say, well, I've tried that. I prayed once. And I never received the answer to that prayer. And so uh, obviously God doesn't want that for me. Maybe he's testing our faith like he was testing her faith. Are we really going to press in? Because I think he was drawing her in, in her faith. So great faith is patient when God is silent. Remember this, delay is not denial. When he delays, it doesn't mean he's saying no. There's something else probably at work, and we need to be patient in that. Great faith is persistent. It means that we keep on Keep it on. When we hit a hurdle. I think sometimes we hit hurdles in life when somebody says the wrong thing. Maybe they mean the right thing, but they say it wrong. Or you're in church and the church hurts you. And, and, and you really need to make connection with Jesus. And we let these little things along the way act like hurdles or barriers in our faith. And we're like, man, I, I tried that once, but then I ran into a, you know, a mean person at church. Or somebody that called themselves a, a Christian and operated their business this way. Different things that can come up from time to time, they can act like a barrier to our faith. And I just want you to know, a great faith doesn't let that stop them. A great faith doesn't say, hey, I'm going to judge all of Christianity by one person or by a church, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to press on until I get what it is that I know I need and I know he loves me, right? And so great faith is a persistent faith. It keeps on keeping on. It hurdles the obstacles. It pushes through the barriers. And we see that here with her. And finally, I believe that great faith is rewarded. Great faith is rewarded. When we come to him in faith, we trust him. We know who he is. I believe with all my heart that it's rewarded. Now, it may not be packaged the way we want it to be packaged, right? Have you heard the, the song, um, Sometimes I Thank God for Unanswered Prayers? Sometimes we pray prayers and God doesn't answer those and then hindsight we look back and go, man, I'm glad he didn't answer that prayer because if he had done what I was asking him, I mean, it wasn't packaged the way that I thought it would be packaged, but we need to understand that God does reward great faith. He does. He says, I've never seen such great faith in all of Israel. He said to the Roman centurion, when the Roman centurion said, hey, I got a son that's sick and Jesus said, let's go. And he goes, no, no, you don't even need to go. Just say the word. That's big, isn't it? He said, just say the word, and he'll be, he'll be healed. I know that. And Jesus said, wow, that's great faith. Another Gentile, by the way. Hebrews 11 says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Or faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Then it says in verse 6, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Did you hear that, church? It is impossible to please God without faith. He's looking for bold faith He's looking for a patient, persistent faith, a great faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely or diligently seek him. Do you believe that he rewards those who seek after him? That's what he says in his word. 
And so I love this woman's um, example of great faith, how it is rewarded. And as I said a moment ago, the only two times that I know of in the Gospels where Jesus commended someone in their faith um, were, had to do with Gentiles, not the people that he came initially for. And, and I love that because it must have been so refreshing for Jesus to be away from all the pressure that's been mounting in his whole ministry. And now he's in a region that is just a ways away and run into this woman who demonstrates that kind of faith. What a great example for us today and for us and the mothers on Mother's Day, right? Just this mom who had this great, great faith. So let me ask you a question. Do you have a great faith? And you might say, well, say not, probably not compared to others. And I think that's a, a, you know, kind of a moving target for some who've been raised in church their whole life. They can know the, the, the Bible from the cover to cover and not displaying faith. And we might say they don't have great faith. And you take someone like this Gentile woman who was raised in a pagan culture who knows very little, but what little she does know, she believes. In that context, it's a great faith, right? And so do you have great faith when you trust him in your life and just everyday things? Do you properly direct that faith? God, I'm trusting in you, right? I'm not trusting in the banks, the government. I'm not trusting in the doctors or the medicines or the next cure. You and you alone are the one I trust in. Now, if you choose to do divinely what I need you to do, or if you choose to do it through these channels, you are my hope. You're my trust. Do you display that your, your faith is properly directed? Are you patient when God is silent? I mean, do you pray one time and get up and say, eh, I tried it, it didn't work, or you just keep on pressing on? I, I'm reminded of the persistent widow who kept going and going and going. Jesus uses her example to show us about persistence in prayer. Keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and the door will be open to us. When we demonstrate great faith, it means that we are patient when God is silent. Are you persistent? Do you keep on going, or do you let little hurdles get in your way, little roadblocks from time to time to say, I try, but it's... It's impossible. This didn't work. Persistent faith finds a way to overcome those obstacles, to hurdle those barriers and get to Jesus. And so are you persistent in your faith? Because if you are, and I believe that God is a rewarder of those who sincerely seek him, as Hebrews says, that he will reward that kind of faith. Now think about it from another perspective also. So Jesus comes to the Jews, and the Jews' role was to accept him as Messiah and then take the gospel. We did the Great Commission, I think last week, and he talks about how they're going to start in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. They're going to take the gospel eventually to the Gentiles. So it's coming for them, but it just wasn't their time yet. And so they, for a moment, were outside of the circle, right? So if you were a Jew, you were God's chosen person, and he came for them. And some of those guys were entitled. Some of those had weak faith. But what brought this woman from outside of the circle to the inner circle, right, was her faith. And what does the scripture tell us? It is by grace that you've been saved. And this through faith, right? It's a gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast about it. Aren't you grateful for his grace? Aren't you you grateful that it's faith that gives us access to Jesus? Now, we're on the other side of the cross, and we know that there's no Gentile or Jew anymore, but all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he still responds to faith. And for some people, that step today is to trust him as Lord and Savior. Lord, I've been living my life on my own. I've been trying to fill this void with all these other things. And today, right now, I want to trust in you and you alone for my salvation, my hope. I'm going to put it all in you. And that's that 
great faith that you need to display or that step that you need to take today. And maybe as a believer, it's just like, you know what? I realize that sometimes I need to work on my, my faith. You know, one person says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. Sometimes we need, to, uh, we, we need a faith lift. Right? And we, we need a, to, to work it out and, and to grow in our faith. And so, Lord, I, I want to grow and I want to have that kind of a great faith. And so help me to understand that it may not always go exactly as I plan all the time. And I'm going to have to be patient sometimes. And I'm going to have to be persistent sometimes, but my focus is on you and you alone. And maybe for us, it's just a reminder, everyone in the room, of the object of our faith is Christ and Christ alone. And maybe we could sure that up today and um, just, I, I don't know what your response is or how he would want you to respond to that, but I'm so grateful that we serve a, a gracious, merciful God. In the case of her asking for mercy, she knew that she was on the outside and didn't deserve but she asked him anyway, Lord, would you please give me mercy? Don't you know? And Mark tells us that uh, when she went home, she found her daughter lying in her bed quietly, and the demon was gone. Don't you know as a mama, that was a big deal that day. <sighs> Crisis averted. Miracle received, right? But it took a mom who was persistent. It took a mom who was willing to overcome the obstacles, to, to push past the barriers and say, I won't be denied. She wouldn't be discouraged. I love that. And I, and I wonder if sometimes we need to take our cue there and say, God, I want to have that kind of faith too. I'm going to keep on pressing, keep on asking, seeking, and knocking because I serve a God who's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Church, that's good stuff. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today and, and just the, uh, the encouragement, uh, maybe the challenge that we get from this story as we look at this mom's great faith and how, Lord, I just see you smiling at her response and it just brings me, uh, Lord, joy to know that, uh, Lord, you are a compassionate, loving father and you look to your children and it's like you're saying, just trust me, just trust me. And Lord, we have the opportunity every day to put our object of faith, I mean, our, our faith in certain things. But Lord, help us to realize that you ultimately are our, our hope. Uh, Lord, you are our life. And our faith is in you and you alone. And, and Lord, that we need to demonstrate that faith uh, in a way that is just a step or two above the world that we live around. Because I know many people who, if they heard silence, would just quit and make an excuse and say, I tried, it didn't work. Lord, we see in her story this persistence and how she just kept coming and going around the obstacles and over the barriers to get to you. And Lord, when she demonstrated to you that she wasn't playing the games like some of the people that Jesus had dealt with earlier, but she was legit and genuine in her faith and saying, I, I just know all I need is a crumb and that's enough. Lord, may we also understand that just that little crumb is more than enough to meet all our needs. And that we would just display that kind of faith. And knowing, Lord, that you reward those who display that kind of faith. Would you just encourage us today? God, I pray for the moms today in the room that uh, their, their job sometimes is underappreciated. Oh, we talk about one day a year and it should be much more than that. But Lord, we thank, thank you for our mothers. We thank you for, uh, Lord, just the, the imperfection in our mothers. Sometimes we hold them to a standard and... Uh, we need to realize that they're human and uh, they make mistakes. Or for those that are burdened because they want so desperately to be a mom and it's not happened yet, would you know all things? And I pray that if that's their, uh, if they're hung up there today, that maybe they would just uh, not look there and focus there all day, but they would just look back and see their own mom and say, God, thank you for my mom. 
Lord, at the end of the day, we want to honor you more than anything. And so I pray that we would just do that in the way we uh, live out today and uh, the way we live out this thing called faith, that we would honor you in everything that we do and we say, knowing, Lord, that one day we will see you face to face and it will all be worth it. And we'll say, wow, God, thank you so much for including us. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.